Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22, let's look at verse 28. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Then Proverbs 23 and verse 10. Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we look at this subject tonight. Help us to understand how important knowing where we've come from is. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing through Grace Baptist Church and the opportunities that you've given us. Lord, I pray that tonight is profitable for the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I think most of you know I fought the call to preach for a long time. My parents thought I was going to be in college forever. And that whole time I was in college, I think 11 years, I think, I studied history. And that's all the classes I would take were history classes, just fighting the call to preach. And what I like to say is it's almost like God had a plan for my life, you know. And he, he gave me a love for that. When I was in fourth grade, we moved to West Hartford, Connecticut, and my father was an assistant pastor there. And the school that I went to was Noah Webster Elementary School, and across the street from the school was Noah Webster's house. And now it's a real historic site, and, you know, you have to pay to get in and all that. But then it was just open. You just walk in and... I would just spend all kinds of time in there. I enjoyed that kind of thing. And then in 1976, living in Connecticut, they, of course, that was the bicentennial, the 200th anniversary of our country. And being in that area during that time, they put up placards, George Washington camped here, and you know all of that history that was all around me as a child, I just became really interested in it. And uh, that, that love for history, it continued through college. And then when I became a pastor, now with the Ancient Baptist Journal and the opportunities to do those things on Baptist history and church history, that's a help. But it also helps the church when I can do things on the history of economics or all the different things that influence us. And Lord willing, I'm going to do a new Shaken series this fall and uh, see if we can shake some things up this fall. That'd be a little fun on some of those things. I'm going to do a message, Lord willing, on eugenics and just what a horrible system that was and how many of the corporations today were founded during that time and all of the things that were involved in it. It'll curl your hair. I've got a book called uh, IBM and the Holocaust and how the Holocaust couldn't have happened without IBM's participation. The, the machines that they used... I, they leased from them from IBM, and a representative from IBM would go to each of the concentration camps every month to service their machines so that they could do the Holocaust and keep track of everything. It's crazy. And so that love for history and that, that ability that God's given me to research... Now, I'm not the researcher that Patrick is. Patrick's the real historian and the real re researcher... But on a popular level, being able to immerse myself in some of these subjects and then give you all the information, I just think it's a, 
I think it's a gift from God that he's given me to, to have that love and passion and then communicate it to you guys. I love being able to do it. What I'm doing in Egypt is different than that. I think that, that a shaken series is important, and God uses those types of things to really grow our church and to bring people in to hear those things. And so it's a blessing, and it's important for you to know some of those things. But none of that is as important as the church. Studying IBM's influence on the Holocaust is not nearly as important as someone understanding what a church is supposed to be. Amen? And so tonight, what I want you to see is what I will do in a Baptist history conference to help people to understand who we are supposed to be. So let's, let's dive in. Um, and, and some of this I obviously use in other venues. I mix all of my stuff together, and you'll, you'll recognize some of this. But for Baptist history, what's the big deal? Why do we care? Why does it matter what Baptist history teaches? In order to answer this question, we must first answer some preliminary questions. So the first question, see if you've ever heard this from me before. Is truth knowable? Is truth, have you ever heard me ask that question before? So let's answer it. Is truth knowable? Yes, it is. Is there a God? Okay, you're not doing very well on this test. Is there a God? If there is a God, has he revealed himself to man? Yes. If he has revealed himself to man, has he done so in a truthful and understandable fashion? Now, for us at Grace Baptist, this is... You know, it's like old home week, right? We, this is who we are and what we do. But when I'm in different churches around the country, where, where really the sermons, they're not very deep. The, the Teaching people to think, it's not very deep. When you get people to think about some of these fundamental issues on does truth exist? Does it really matter what you think? How do we know what to think? How do we know that we're right? Um, it, it's important. So all of conservative evangelicalism and all of Christian fundamentalism would certainly, and certainly all Bible-believing Baptists, would boldly answer, yes, of course, God has revealed himself in a truthful and understandable manner. We would never want to be classified with Pilate, who asked our Savior, what is truth? Now, why then, I was just thinking, this is the material I did over at Minster when you all were, I don't know if you were there for that series. I've got a handout for this and all that I did over there. Why then are so many different, are, why then are there so many different theological systems? So if God is clear, if we know that truth exists, and God is clear in how he has communicated his truth to us, why are there so many different theological systems? And it's interesting, we're always the ones that are considered the oddballs. Very interesting. When you're talking to your Christian friends, and you talk about the things that you learn here, that's always just seems outside the, the realm of possibility for the other people that we talk to. Why is that? So has God revealed doctrinal truth to us in a truthful and understandable fashion? I believe he has. I believe he has, and we're going to look at some of that tonight. If he hasn't, then all of this is moot. How can good godly men disagree so profoundly on matters of such significance as salvation, baptism, eternal security, the nature of the church, its government, its members, its mission, the second coming, the Lord's Supper, access to God in prayer, 
forgiveness of sins, the mind and the conscience, and the future judgment of saints and sinners. Did you hear the list that I just gave? Let me read it to you again. These are things that churches disagree on. Salvation, baptism, eternal security, the nature of the church, its government, members, its mission, the second coming, the Lord's Supper, access to God in prayer, forgiveness of sins, the mind and conscience, the future judgment of saints and sinners. Why would churches disagree on those subjects? Seriously. Why would there be disagreement? It's hard to even get your head around. When we think about you know, that statement that, that we use during Christianity 101, well, all religions are fundamentally the same except for what they teach about. Like three people remember. I'm going to have to start that series all over again. Are these is- issues, which are so disputed in the Christian world, important? So that list that I just read, are they important? Are those subjects important? Well, if God has revealed himself and his doctrine to us in his word, why have these truths been rejected? And what will keep us from rejecting them in the future? It's very interesting. And it's an important question. And here's an important follow-up question. Have we rejected them already? Have we rejected what the Bible teaches on these things already? So open your Bibles and let's, I want us to look at this subject of doctrine and what is our responsibility in this area of doctrine. So go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to see, we're going to read through some verses and let's see if there's anything consistently emphasized in these passages. So repetition in the Bible is what? All right. So look at verse... 1 Timothy chapter 1, and look at verse 2. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other what? Doctrine. So what's happening is already, as Paul is establishing churches people are beginning to teach other doctrine. You see that? And he sends Timothy to tell them, don't teach any other doctrine. Don't do that. All right? So look at chapter 1 and verse 10. For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound what? Doctrine. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. And look at verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving." That ought to be our favorite passage of Scripture right there. If you want to eat bacon, it's okay. Amen? All right. So look at verse 5. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good, what? Whereunto thou hast attained. 
All right, go with me to verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. To doctrine. Look at verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Look at chapter 5 and verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially, who, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. It's interesting. You're laboring in the word and in doctrine. When I preach to preachers, I think I just said this to you recently. Um, I remember I asked Doug Schmidtmeyer years ago, what do you do for a living? And basically he said, I move around engine blocks. At that point, that's what you were doing. And so I, I was preaching to some preachers shortly after that, and I read this verse. And most preachers like this because the double honor is that the pastor should make double of what the average person in the church earns. That's the teaching of this. And the reason for that is so pastors don't have any concerns. They're, they're not open to bribery. They're, they're not stealing from the church. They're, they're able to just work in the church, and the church pays them very, very well. That's the teaching of that passage. And, of course, that's every pastor's favorite passage of Scripture. Now, preachers love that passage. And so I was using that passage in this pastor's conference, but I read the rest of it. It says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and in doctrine. And I mentioned Doug Schmidtmeyer, how he, takes, he spends eight hours a day moving engine blocks. And I asked these preachers, how would you compare your labor in the word of God to that man moving engine blocks all day? How would you compare your labor? How would you compare that? It's really important. But what is that labor to be in? Doctrine. Understanding these things and being able to do it. it uh, often people are surprised at our question and answer times. And I, I think, I don't know if somebody here said it, but they thought that I had set it up one time. Somebody asked me a question and we went from verse to verse to verse. And this person thought, he's fake. They set that up. That's fake. There's nobody that can do that. And, but that's what we do, right? That's, that's what we do. Every preacher ought to be able to do that. And most can. Most of the guys that I know or would be around, if James Knox was here, he could do it. If Jeff Faggard or Dalton Robertson, Michael Scott, all of our friends can do what I do. Because that's what the preacher is supposed to be able to do. Are you with me on that? Why? Because we labor in the word of God and in doctrine. That's what we are supposed to do. The doctrine is the key. All right. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. It's interesting. The way that we work at our jobs is a reflection of the doctrine that we believe. Did you hear what I just said? The way we work at our jobs, the way we serve those who are over us, is a reflection of the doctrine that we believe. It's important stuff. Look at uh, chapter 6 and verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness... He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, 
withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. What's the foundation of that whole list of things? Anyone who is doing anything contrary to the doctrine of the word of God. Very important stuff. Let's see if the Bible says anything else about that. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's start reading in verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Isn't it interesting that that's in that list? Isn't that interesting? Disobedient to parents. So you parents, when your children disobey you, when you tell them to sit down and they won't sit down, you tell them not to touch something and they touch it, they look at you and say no. Look at the list of things they are in. I can tell you how to stop that from happening. Spank that child in a way that they remember it and do not want it to happen again. Amen. All right, so back to our previously scheduled programming. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Is there anything more without natural affection than abortion? Child abuse? Truce, how about uh, helping your child transition to another gender at six years old, ten years old, without natural affection, insanity, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that's out of self, they, they have no self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Man, is that our world? Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. And, you know, sometimes people get offended by that. You'd be amazing. You'd be amazed how many Christian women watch The View and get their opinions from that garbage. Silly women. Silly women. There's not a more demonic group of people in the world than the people on that show. And it's crazy the amount of influence that they have. Crazy. Leading silly women captive. Then, ever learning, verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs, was, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them the Lord delivered me. So what he said in the middle of all that mess, the contrast to that entire list of debauchery, which included disobedience to parents, he said, but you have known my doctrine. What's going to separate us from the world is our doctrine. It's what we believe. Remember, a Baptist church is defined by what it believes and what it does, faith and practice. That's what defines a Baptist church, faith and practice. All right, go with me to uh, verse 16. See if anyone knows this verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. It's good for doctrine. That's what the Scripture is given to us for. It's given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine. All right, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Are you seeing a theme? How many of you have noticed a theme? What is the, what is the theme? Doctrine. Remember, there are churches that advertise, you're not going to get any stuffy doctrine here. Isn't that crazy? I don't think maybe they're doing biblical ministry. All right. Um, look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heed to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. What's going to keep them from being turned unto fables? Doctrine. We're going to keep teaching doctrine. Look at the book of Titus. Chapter 1 and verse 9. This is the list of, one of the lists of requirements for a pastor. But notice what it says, "...holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So one of the qualifications of a pastor is to be able to stand up to opposition doctrinally. When, when, When a pastor is challenged about why do we do this in the church, I think we ought to do something else to be able to answer it with doctrine. Amen? And so that's why when we do our question and answer time, it's always Scripture, Scripture. Well, open the Bible here. Open the Bible here. This is why we do this. Open the Bible here. That's, that's who we are to be. Look with me at um, Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now, which become, it's not that it's going to be that. It's, that it's like something that adorns it, that makes it look good. That's where to speak things that align with sound doctrine. Look at verse 7 of Titus chapter 2. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. So what is that? We don't have corrupt doctrine, and we take doctrine seriously. We're not flippant about our doctrine. It's really important. And what is all of this about? All of these verses about doctrine, it's about how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. That's what all of this is about. And so our doctrine is vital to it. Look at verse 10. I like this word. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. It's really important. We're not stealing from the people. We're not stealing from God's people. We're doing right. We're living right. We're being the people that we're supposed to be so that they love doctrine. Doctrine looks good to them because of the behavior of God's people. Man, that's important, isn't it? It's just vital. So one of the things that when I go and I teach in these places that I'm trying to emphasize is that Baptist doctrine, this church doctrine that we're talking about, it's not just um, 
the system that I grew up in, so that's the system that I'm comfortable with. That's not it at all. That's not what we're talking about. There's only one way to do church. There's only one way, God's way. We come together, we sing, we preach, and we have fellowship. That's the way that you do church. People can, you know, you can have your mosh pit, you can do all kinds of stuff. Uh, Scott Huffman was telling me he went to a church in uh, Kentucky one time that had recliners. This whole front thing was all recliners. Man, people be asleep like that at Grace Baptist Church. That's not going to work here. I know that's what you guys want. You guys want the recliners, I can tell. Man, we are, it's like I talked about with the lights. We are all about opening up the Bible, teaching it, sound doctrine. God said this, let's do this. God said this, let's do this. This is not a complicated process. Amen? And you know what I love? This is so cool. So we have a culture that has kind of trained people uh, through television or whatever that your attention spans about eight minutes and they need a commercial. And then uh, I was at a pastor's conference that said, man, you got to break up your sermon. People won't listen for more than about 10 or 15 minutes. You need to break it up with a video or a song or some kind of a presentation. And look at these guys, every one of these guys right here. I had to make sure they were all doing it this time. Every one of these guys is paying attention right now. Why? Because this is what they're used to. They've been trained with this. They're, I'm trying to see, yeah, all of you guys, your whole lives. This is what you've been, they've been trained for. Isn't that awesome? This is who we are supposed to be. They can hear this doctrine, and I guarantee you these guys can explain things from the Bible that adults in many other churches could not explain. Why? Because our church, whether it's in Sunday school or it's Awana or it's the church services, it's verse after verse after verse. It's doctrine. It's reasoning like Paul did, reasoning with them out of the scriptures, using our minds to understand why we're doing what we're doing. Those of you who have come from other churches that have begun going other directions, you understand this better than most. But those of you who have been in Bible preaching churches your whole lives, I don't think you understand how bad it is out there. You know, you can get a Barney Fife Sunday school lesson. I'm, a, a Sunday school series. You can get a Simpsons Sunday school series. That's the kind of stuff that goes on because they have this, people have this idea that you can't just go to the Bible and learn from the scriptures. You've got to have some kind of a gimmick to go along with it. Now, I don't think in Egypt or in Syria that the Simpsons Sunday School material is the issue. But I can tell you this, trying to stay true under persecution is a very difficult thing. That's where they need to know sound doctrine. They need to know how to stand in that sound doctrine. So truth is knowable. Truth is knowable. But not only is truth knowable, but ignorance is visible. Look at Isaiah chapter 59. While you're turning, let me ask you a question. So from the passages we read, do you think it's important that we teach doctrine? And it's interesting that the NIV has taken the word doctrine out. It's only in there four or five times. 
Maybe that's why those churches that use the NIV don't emphasize doctrine. You think maybe that has something to do with it? Very interesting. Isaiah chapter 59. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Man, this is what, this is what happens when people move away from God's word. Truth is fallen in the street. You know a good example of that? Did any of you get to watch any of the Democratic debates? Was that the biggest bunch of garbage you've ever seen? Now, how many of you saw that Marianne Williamson? How many of you saw that crazy lady that was talking about love? What you've got to remember, this is so fun that I get to remind you. Remember when I was talking to you about how evil the Jesus Calling series, Jesus is Calling series is? How many remember me mentioning that? How this woman had this spirit guide. They sell it in the Christian bookstores, and it's basically demonism. That's her. That's the lady that wrote that stuff. That's, there are, I guarantee you, there are evangelical churches in Sydney that have taught Bible studies from her stuff. I guarantee you, women's Bible studies from Marianne Williamson's Jesus Calling series. I promise you they have. And that woman is nuttier than squirrel poop. I'm just telling you, when you see that truth is fallen in the streets... It is gone. That's our country. Now, she's not going to get elected president. I wish she were the nominee just for entertainment purposes. But, man, how about all those people that don't believe we ought to have a border? They don't believe it? No truth. Remember, remove not the ancient landmark? How many of you remember that? Remove not the ancient... Those are those people. Anything that God wants, they are the direct opposite of it. Ignorance. Ignorance is visible, and it produces visible results, visible confusion, visible compromise, visible heresy, visible apostasy, and visible infidelity. Ignorance destroys. It destroys. The Bible in the book of Hosea says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It destroys our heritage. We don't know who we are. It destroys our discipline. We don't know how to behave. Ignorance destroys our doctrine. We don't know what to preach. Ignorance destroys our purity. We don't know what to exclude. Ignorance destroys our passion. We don't know what to love. Ignorance destroys our resolve. We don't know what to endure. Ignorance destroys our distinctiveness. We don't know how to be peculiar. So truth is knowable and ignorance is visible. And I think that that list I just gave is so obvious in the churches. But here's the good news. Obedience is possible. Obedience is possible. And what is the obedience that we're looking for? It's simply obedience to God's commands. That's what we do, obedience to God's commands. The reason that we are structured the way we are with our Baptist distinctives is because they are expressly biblical distinctives. That's who we are. That's why we're God's people. And so the heartbeat of what I'm doing for these men in Africa this week, Lord willing, is to teach them who Baptist people have been in history. Where did they come from? What stands did they take? How were they persecuted for it? That's what we're going to be doing this week. But the, but the important thing is not the history. The reason the history is important is it's the history of a people that were obedient to God's word. How cool would it be if down the road somebody was writing a history of Sydney, Ohio? Who were the Baptists in Sydney? Well, there were several churches, but the one that seems like it did the most 
was Grace Baptist Church. Wouldn't that be awesome? We're not there yet. Let's do that. Amen? Let's be the people that God wants us to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. I pray that it was profitable for your people. And Lord, I believe it was because we, we read so much.